You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for pressing play. This is episode number 11 of Behind the Note Podcast. We have another great show for you today. I have great news. As of right now, we have over 600 listenings of Behind the Note podcast within the last seven days. That means you're listening to the show. Thank you so much. I meet a lot of people who say, thank you, Chris, for what you're doing. I like what you're doing. What you're doing is needed. And I want to tell you, if you really, really want to show your appreciation, iTunes ratings and reviews are greatly needed. Uh, subscriptions are also needed. So we have over 600 plays in the last seven days, but currently only 14 ratings and reviews. So I really want to bridge that gap because it helps Behind the Note podcast to be visible. And that's really important right now. So I want to say thank you for pressing play. And please, I encourage you to go to iTunes and also Stitcher Radio and rate and review and subscribe. Um, thank you so much. And right now we're going to get right to the content. We have a great show because today's guest is one of the best guitar players on the scene right now. He's in New York City and he's a part of the musicians community. He's going to talk to us about the recording process. So you're going to learn uh, some very valuable information on what to do and what not to do when you decide to record your album. Or even if you already recorded, you're going to learn how to improve on your next experience. And then we get to talk about the process to a Grammy Award because our guest today has won a Grammy Award. He was a part of the 2013 Best Jazz Album of the Year when he performed with Terry Lynn Carrington. So it's my pleasure to introduce to you today guitarist Nir Felder. Thank you, Nir, so much for agreeing to be with us today. We're thankful to have you. Oh, it's my pleasure, Chris. So I want to get right into things. Will you let us know uh, how you were first introduced to music? I got. Um, I didn't get an early start as a as a player, but I got an early start as a listener. Um, just kind of uh, because I grew up in the 80s in, in the States and my parents were both working. So I would get home from school and my babysitter was MTV. And uh, MTV at the time was kind of like they were just figuring it out. It was new. So they were just playing music videos all day long. So I, I really fell in love with music there. And and they were playing popular music, but kind of all sorts of stuff. You know, there was that Yo MTV rap show, and there was Headbangers Ball, and there was all these alternative bands. And then the 90s thing kind of started, you know, with the, the grunge rock from Seattle. So I feel like I was exposed to a lot of different styles of popular music through that. And that that's kind of what gave me the first bit of a music bug. And then uh, I started playing guitar at 13, and that was my my playing bug you know then i was like oh i, I want to play guitar this is what i want to do 13 years old for guitar okay that's when i started yeah so what attracted you to the instrument it was kind of just the first instrument that i was really exposed to where um 
you know, I had a, I, I met a teacher, a local teacher. I was, I was raised in the suburbs of New York city and there wasn't that much live music going on or there weren't that many people to teach. But, um, you know, I saw him play, he said he was giving lessons and then it kind of connected to the experience I had watching popular music on MTV where these people had guitars. I was like, Oh cool. I, I can try and do that. That would be cool. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't too, um, outside of that. It wasn't like accordion lessons or something not that there's anything wrong with that but guitar immediately was like oh cool i can i can do this i want to do this so now today what are you working on what kind of projects are you doing well i'm still playing with a lot of different people as a sideman you know i I play um i play all styles but i I really fell in love with jazz uh later in life and, and i got hooked to that so um for example, last night I just played with Joey DeFrancesco, this kind of all-star band he put yeah. together, Billy Hart, Billy Hart on drums. That was so cool. That was such a blast. Uh, but I'm kind of concentrating on doing my own thing, too. I, I write a lot of music and I have a band and uh, we just put out our first record on uh, Sony Masterworks' OK label. So um, we're going to be doing a lot of touring later in the year and I'm just setting that stuff up and learning a lot about having a record out and being a leader. I'm glad you brought up the Sony OK label because we recently had James Brandon Lewis on and we learned that label is actually an old label that closed and opened back and closed again and opened again. And they have they had great, I think Lewis Armstrong was, no, Duke Ellington was on yeah, Lu- Lu- Louis too had had some cuts for OK. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's really just a a brand that's been revived. It's not the same people that started the label because that was one of the early record labels, like one of the very first, founded by a, a German immigrant I, whose name is related to the OK brand. But um, now it's under the the helm of Sony, so it's a revival of of that label. Um, but obviously, different people are involved with it because it's so far down the line from the original label. So will you tell us how you came to be associated with OK? Sure. And th- this this would be this would tie into like um, kind of advice for people who are making records now on their own, because that's what I did. I I just made a record and then I, I kind of shopped it around. But um, I realized at a certain point that I really wanted to make a record, first of all. Uh, it was something that I really wanted to do, not because I felt I had to do it for any kind of you know, like some people say a record is your business card nowadays. I don't really subscribe to any of that. I just, I just feel like if you really want to make a record and you have music that you're really passionate about and a band that you love and some sort of concept for what you want your music to be, then you should kind of go into the studio and document it. But maybe not before that. Like it's, I feel like it's become kind of just something people do. They're like, oh, I guess I should make a record. But do you really want to? So I got to a point where I really wanted to make a record. I felt like I had music that I, I was performing live and presenting to people at, at shows, and people would come up and say, hey, can I buy your record? And I would say, oh, there is there is no record yet. So that's when I knew I was kind of ready. I was like, people were connecting to the music. I felt good about it. I felt like I had a band. So I made the record, and I actually made it twice. I went into the studio, and I had my band. We played, and I was happy with the way we played. But I I learned a lot about recording and a lot about the studio because I had played on many records before, but I had never been in the position of, of saying, okay, this is how I want you to mic the drums. This is how I want you to mic the guitar. This is, you know, how I want, um, us laid out in the studio. You know, I was never in the control chair up until now. So the first time I made the record or recorded some of these songs, 
I didn't I came away with it, you know, feeling really good about the potential, but feeling like it didn't really sound the way I wanted it to sound. The quality, the sound quality wasn't really there. I didn't really make all the right choices. I didn't choose the right studio for my for myself, you know. So I took a little pause after that and I said, let me just wait, save up some money again and really do this right because I don't want to release anything that I'm not 100% excited about. So I, I took a breath and then I went back and I started recording again. And this time I, I felt like it was something really, really strong that I wanted to present. So at that point, I started kind of contacting everyone I knew that I thought might, you know, give it a listen. And um, and I did, but that wasn't really like a direct route to the label I ended up with. That that did connect me to other labels, some people who were interested, some who weren't, some who said, you know, we'd love to put it out, but we can't right now. So could you could talk to us in, in, you know, six months or eight months or something? So at that point, I was just kind of figuring things out and, and seeing who might who might be interested in it. Eventually, through a really fortuitous kind of chain of events, I was uh, playing at Jack DeJanet's birthday party with Terry Lynn Carrington. And uh, there I met someone who was involved in the OK label. And uh, we, we even only met very, very, very briefly. But, um, you know, I guess he liked my playing and, and we kind of were on good terms. So then later, when 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 someone else on my behalf approached this person about my record, they were they they were you know familiar with who I was, and they said, "Oh yeah, we'd love to hear that." So that when they did hear it, they, they and they liked it, you know, they they gave it a chance, and then they they liked what they heard. They said, "This is something we want to put out." Wow, what a story, man! That's really incredible. So really, in the end, it kind of happened because of the relationship you had with someone else who knew someone else. Yeah. I think it happened through. Two reasons. Okay. And the first is that I think, because it wouldn't have happened if the product wasn't something that I really believed in. If I wasn't behind it 100%, I couldn't expect anybody else to get behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I think sure. the first thing is just being really honest with yourself about what you want and the reasons that you want it. You know, I didn't make a record to get a record deal. I made a record because I wanted to make a record, you know, and I wanted to make as good a record as I possibly could at the time. So the first thing, first and foremost, is just making sure that, you know, you have something that you really believe in and you believe it. In, and I'm sure James Brandon Lewis will tell you the same thing because he really believed in it. And he really like he worked his tail off to try and spread the word about the record until someone else would believe in it, too. But if he didn't have that initial belief, you know, he couldn't have weathered all the all the no's and all the the stuff that comes in between all the frustrations you know so first and foremost you have to have something that you really believe in and for me the second thing was that you know even though i was really committed to this uh i was still kind of you know actively performing in other situations so i i was touring with terry lynn carrington at the time and i i had played with jack in the past so the the you know invitation to come play at jack's birthday party was through terry and through jack it just involved kind of being active as a musician outside of my own little world of, you know, being a composer and a band leader. I was also a guitar player, you know, and uh, someone that was always I was always into like working. I was I never thought it, it wasn't cool or artistic to be like a working guitar player. I was like, that's cool, too. I'm learning so much about, you know, how to play the guitar in different settings. I'm getting all this experience that. Sadly, it's. I was talking to Lonnie Plastico about this last night. Lonnie told me that he um, he started playing professionally when he was in um, like freshman year of high school. You know, it was when he started really touring around and doing gigs. You know, in high school, 
and and that's rare nowadays. It's hard for people to get those opportunities unless maybe they go to an arts high school. But at the time, it was it, he said this was before disco, so there there weren't any DJs. There were live bands at the proms at every everything you know hotels. They would do tours of hotels like going around the Midwest. He was from Chicago, so they would play Holiday Inns and stuff. So by the time he was like twenty years old, he had years of gig experience. But now that's really hard to get. You know, you have to be really adaptable and and in just in, into playing. You know, so I think all that all that those years of taking gigs and 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 gig experience kind of led me into the one gig that eventually got someone to hear my record. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. So I'm I'm curious for myself. The first time when you were in the studio, did you not go to a professional studio with a professional <laughs> engineer? No. No, I absolutely did. It, it it was it was not a bad studio by any stretch of the imagination. It it was a professional studio that that uh you know lots of great records have been made at, but it wasn't the best of the best. You know what I mean? Like I I I didn't I didn't in in the list of expenses that I knew I would incur and it was coming out of my own pocket, I didn't put the studio like first and foremost. And I learned through this process that the studio is actually the one of the most important things to me um because i i i need to i mean now that i've i've done a lot more of this and researched so much and learned so much through this process and through other similar processes now i know what i need to do to make any studio work for me if they don't have the right mics i'll rent some mics you know, if I, I know what kind of mic I like my guitar amp to be mic'd with. So I'll go rent that mic if a studio doesn't have it. So I, I, I'm more adaptable now than I was then. But um, I did learn, like, you know, just through the experience of, of recording as a sideman for different studios, at different studios, I learned which studio really worked best for me, where I felt totally comfortable, I felt totally relaxed, and the sound quality was, like, you know superior to in my mind superior to other studios you know either through the gear or the expertise of the people working there so even though i did it well the first time for me it just didn't mean i'm very critical of myself so it didn't meet my standard i was like i want this to sound amazing just from an audio perspective and i think that people who work at record labels who who hear a lot of demos and they hear a lot of people's projects that that does impress them when the sound quality beyond the plan i mean the music comes first of course but the sound quality if that's really really good that that really helps your cause so how much time passed in between the first attempt and the second attempt one year one year because it, it is a big expense so i i did have to kind of since i was doing it on my own and i didn't think i didn't even try to get someone to put up the money for me because i, I didn't feel it was right to like approach a record label and say hey you want you want me to do a record for you you know i don't have anything that i can show you you know it, you can come to my gig or something i wanted to give them a product you know, and make it as good as I possibly could. And if, if it was that good, you know, the worst thing that could happen would be for them to say, uh, yeah, we really like it, but we want creative control, so we want you to do it again. You know, and thankfully that didn't happen. They were like, we like it. It's great. We love it. So why did you, what was your reason for going to the labels instead of doing that whole part on your own as well? 
Because, I mean, I think labels are still a really important part of the music business. Um, I know that at, at the level of an independent artist, it doesn't always seem like they're there with you on the ground. Like they're kind of these rarefied entities that still exist that are, you know, designed only for pop artists and not for jazz artists. But that, that I don't think that's true yet. I, I think that, you know, labels are still, you know, there's only so much you can do yourself. You know, you can, you can do a lot. Some people do an amazing amount themselves. But for me, like, I, I need time to work on music. You know, I'm not there yet where I can, like, totally take a vacation from my guitar and, and, and from, from music. Um, and even now, with all the, all the people that I'm very fortunate to have helping me, I still don't have enough time for music, I, I don't think. I would love to have so much more time to just devote to music and, and to the art of it, you know, to composing, to... Um, to playing, to learning new things, to playing with new people. You know, that's that's why we do this, because we love that. But we also want to be able to make this our career. We want to have a long, long lifetime of, you know, making, creating new work and, and communicating with audiences. So a label is a group of people that's organized to make that happen for artists. In exchange, they might take, you know, more money than you would make if you did it all on yourself. But it's really hard to like delegate all the time for all the business aspects of things and still have time for music. So I do think that the labels serve a really, really, really important function. And they're not, you know, it doesn't have to be a major label. There are small indie labels that really work with their artists and, you know, and, and try to make good careers for their artists so that the artists can focus on making new great music. That's a really good answer. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I want to ask you also, will you tell us about your journey to making music your career absolutely so like i said i kind of grew up maybe i got a little bit of a late start playing guitar but i also grew up in the suburbs you know so that there wasn't really wasn't really too much happening and especially in terms of jazz i already liked jazz but i didn't have anybody to play it with and i was just into music in general so i just wanted to play all day long but it was mostly like self-study you know mostly self-taught um, a few a few helpful hints along the way, but at that point I was mostly self-taught. And then I, I got to Berkeley, and I already knew how to play because I'd practiced so much, but I didn't know how to play jazz with other people. I definitely didn't know that. So that was my first kind of experience, like, okay, now you have to make music with people, go. And that was amazing because <laughs> I, I just doubled how hard I worked. You know, I was really just in the practice room from, you know, morning till night with, with no, <laughs> I had to take a break from a social life, which is, I'm glad I did it then when I was really young because now it'd be harder to do. You know, I, you know, I have a, a girlfriend and family that I, I care about deeply, you know, and I, I need to spend more time with them. But at the, at the time, you know, as a, as a kid, I was like, okay, let me focus on my studies now. Now's the time. And I was just so excited about it too, because it was so new for me. So I, I, I did that. And, um, and I think, you know, at, at a, people will recognize you if, if they see how hard you're working be and, and the progress that you make. It doesn't really matter how good you are to begin with or how good you are at the end. If you really work that hard, I think people really admire that and appreciate that. So uh, the school I went to, which was Berkeley College of Music, they, they were really good to me. They ended up giving me a full scholarship and and uh, that, that made things a lot easier. That, that was cool. Um, so that when I moved to New York afterwards, I didn't, I'm not paying back, you know, years and years of student loans. So that was just a result of hard work, I, I would say, uh, luck and hard work but i moved to new york I, I wouldn't call myself when i moved here i don't know if i was a professional musician yet i uh, i didn't have the experience other than the college experience i had a degree and i had a limited amount of playing experience in school 
but that limited amount of playing experience with certain people kind of got me working as soon as I moved to New York, which was another lucky break. You know, when I was there, uh, Joe Lovano had been teaching at the college and he hooked me up with a few gigs that became kind of semi-regular gigs once I moved to New York. For example, this drummer, Francisco Mela, that played with Joe started putting me on his gigs. So like within a week of moving to New York, I had kind of gigs that had a little bit of visibility. So people came out and I met a lot of young musicians through that and they you know, we would all get together and play. So I, I, I had a community kind of early on, which was just really, really lucky. So within that community, you know, we kind of all played together and, you know, one gig turned into another. And I think that something that is a strength and a weakness is that I always had a hard time saying no. You know, if someone asked me to do something, hey, can you play? Or you want to come play? Or you want to do this gig? You're like, you know, this gig in Alabama and we're going to drive there and on my bicycle and like, you got to like carry your amp on your back. I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. You know, because yeah, <laughs> I just wanted to play. You know, I was excited about it, even if the conditions weren't, you know, perfect. So I was just kind of the guy that I, I was saying yes. And at the same time, you know, it was all good. You know, I was just happy to be doing it and, and you know, making some scraping out a living somehow. But as the years have gone on, I've been able to be a little bit more choosy about certain things. But also, you know, the group of players that I've I've, I've gotten to play with, you know, I'm so grateful for because it seems like everyone keeps getting better and then the, the gigs get better and the, the people you know, the, the, it gets wider. And I, it, it's interesting. It's been a great a great journey, you know, and I hope it's, you know, I'm still on the path somewhere. I, I found everyone to be really supportive. You know, um, I, you're where are you in Chicago? I am in Chicago. Yes. So I don't know how, how things are in Chicago, but I know when I lived in Boston, th this might be helpful for your listeners. When I lived in Boston, there was some kind of a uh, myth going around in New York. I don't know who was spreading this. It, probably people who had never lived in New York, but there was something because New York is is it is a jazz center. There, there it's not the only one, but it, it's it is a jazz center. You know, there's most of the musicians that play jazz at a at a really like international professional level live in New York. Not all of them by any means, but most of them. And there was some kind of myth going around Boston that like, oh, New York's going to chew you up and spit you out and you have to know everything and you have to know every song ever written. And like, if you don't, they're going to like run you out on a rail. And then I was like, okay, I did, I, it scared me. I didn't want to move to New York. And then uh, one of my teachers at Berkeley was like, uh, so what are you going to do after you graduate? I was like, oh, I'm going to hang out in Boston for like a year and just practice. And he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, I just want to practice. And like, I'm not ready to move to New York. He's like, man, you better move to New York. You better. I'm, if 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 you stay another year in Boston, I'm gonna come to your house every day and like, you know, throw eggs at your door. He's like, you can't you can't stay here. And I was like, uh, but he he kind of talked me into it. I'm very grateful for that because it, it was the right move for me. But when I got to New York, I was just shocked by how welcoming it was, how supportive all the musicians were of each other, uh, how cool everyone was, how how everyone wanted to play. You know, so the some stereotype of it being this really like cutthroat musical doggy dog scene where where you know people were just mean to each other all the time was, was just a total fabrication i don't know how that rumor spread but um you know new york is a crazy city it is a huge city there are like some difficulties involved in living in a big city traffic for one like getting from place to place is you know crazy it's an expensive city but the people are are cool people have big hearts here so um i gotta give props to new york it, it's 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 
it's an amazing place and and uh i think there's a home for anybody that wants to come try and have a music career here i'm so glad you shared that story because we don't get to hear that perspective very often at all so thank you i don't i don't know where yeah i don't know why i i know in boston when i lived there that that's the impression that they gave of, to me that and I think a lot of other students that it wasn't really a welcoming place or a welcoming community, but that's not, that couldn't be farther from the truth. I found New York to be much warmer than Boston, just among the, amongst the musical community. And I personally have some friends that have moved to New York and they're doing great. I don't know anyone personally that went and didn't do well for themselves. So you're right. showing me the another side. I like that confirmation. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it just boils down to, first of all, it's a very big city. So there's a lot of opportunity involved there. You know, like you can do a lot of different things in a big city that you can't do in a small town. There's more opportunities. There's also more musicians, but there's also more opportunities. But also it's like a cultural center. You know, people in New York, they do appreciate culture. They will go out to hear music at a venue. You know, they will go to see a play. They will go to the opera. They will go to like see an independent film. So it, you know, it is still a cultural center. So the arts do flourish here the way they, they might not in, in certain cities that are more just business oriented or whatever oriented. Um, New York is still an art capital. So uh, it makes sense that, you know, artists could make a living here, you know, and, and they could kind of make a living creating art. That's so true. So thank you. Thank you for showing that perspective to us. I want to kind of change gears because I want to talk about the Grammy Award. You know, oh, cool. For, for Terry's record? Yes. You yeah. were a part of that. And first of all, what did you win a Grammy for? Well, Terry Terry won uh, Best Jazz Album, and, and it was a pretty big achievement because she's the first female ever to win for Best Jazz Instrumental Album. So that's amazing and i'm just very lucky to have uh, i played guitar on it so yeah <laughs> now i understand i understand what you mean when you say you play guitar on it but you can't really diminish the fact that you play guitar on a grammy award winning album that's a really big deal it's amazing i, I feel very lucky to I, I feel lucky to have been a part of that record no matter what even if it didn't win a grammy because it was a good record it was a great record it had to be on a record with people like terry lynn christian mcbride clark terry herbie hancock they're all on that record gerald clayton you know that that's just cool i'm stoked i'm still stoked about that but the fact that it was honored like that and, and that it was a historic it ended up being a historic nomination and a historic win that's pretty cool so i just feel lucky well what i want to know from you is about the process during that creation what what was it like what what did it take to put out that great that great product for for her record like in the studio yes. uh, well she she has a she has a very specific vision i i think that that's true of a lot of like really good band leaders they know exactly what they want so she comes at it like that first of all like she has she doesn't have like it's not in an overbearing way she gives you kind of a sketch of a tune so that you can bring your own personality to it and then she shapes it which is cool i love that i think i did two sessions with her for that record one in the studio live with with the cats and another one separately kind of overdubbed to add some colors and textures so she she kind of gave me like she's like i want this to have kind of a bluesy vibe on this intro with you and liz together and uh with liz Wright. and i was, I was thinking okay how can i really make that make that happen so in that case i i i I used a dobro guitar, like a resonator guitar, like they, they had on a lot of those early blues records. 
Um, and then for another track, she wanted, she was like, yeah, I want a more like exotic vibe here. I don't know. I'm hearing like a sitar. So I ended up using an electric sitar on that. So it was a fun record to make. You know, I got to play a lot of different guitars and I'd be creative with the textures and colors. And thanks for sharing. So near behind the note podcast is about educating, inspiring, motivating, and empowering. What is your advice for someone that wants to pursue a career in music? But maybe they have a day job and they're afraid to let go of that totally. I would just tell them to trust themselves, you know, types of things. Um, First of all, with what kind of music you want to make, with the way you want to sound, with what you want to do, with the music you want to write. I think if it comes from an honest place, it's going to take you the places you want to go. You just have to be really, really honest with yourself and and admit to yourself what works for you and what doesn't work. And in in this kind of climate where we have... um, so many educational resources and this is another one everything that you get all that information it's not all right for you and you have to know what's right and what's not so as with anything you know you can you can have all the greatest teachers in the world but they might not be giving you the advice that's right for you you have to know what's right for you too so i would just tell them to trust themselves and believe in themselves because only they know what's right for themselves it's not it's not like a cookie cutter thing where one set of advice works for everybody. Uh, everyone has to kind of come to terms with what what it is they want and what it is that they they do and who it is that they are. You know, so it's an ongoing process. But there's certain things that you just kind of know in your heart. You know, certain things that you just know. And uh, all too often we ignore those things. You know, for whatever reason. So it's been my experience that you know the things that that people connect to audience and stuff is usually the most honest thing you can do whenever you try you know like that feeling of like you're say you're taking us i think everyone can relate to this you're taking a solo and then you're like oh i should do that thing let me do that thing you know that thing i worked on or that thing i know or i think this thing would be cool here and then you try and do it and that's when it fall that's when you fall on your face that moment you know, when you don't let yourself just be free and, and, and be natural, you kind of like superimpose some of your will or somebody else's will on it, something you think you should do, that's when it gets derailed. So I think music is like that. You know, when you follow like your, your own course, you stay true to yourself, you're honest, uh, you know, you kind of know what it is that, that's right for you. That's when the good things happen. So that's my advice. <laughs> Man, great advice. Thank you for sharing that with us. Of course. It's been a pleasure, man. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I wanted to ask you before I let you go, don't you have a CD out that's currently? Yeah, I have a brand new record. It just dropped uh, less than a month ago. It's called Golden Age. It's on uh, Sony Masterworks, OK Records. And I hope everyone can check it out. You know, I'm I'm happy with it. And um, I look forward to making more music and continuing in that direction. And, of course, we can go to iTunes and, and download that, correct? iTunes, Amazon, and my website is being redone at, as we speak. It should The new website should be up in about a week. So looking forward to sharing that with you all. And what is your website address? Nierfelder.com. That's N-I-R-F-E-L-D-E-R.com. Thanks a lot, Nier. You're a pleasure to have on the show today. Chris, thank you so much, man. That was our talk with guitarist Nier Felder. Thank you, Nier, for sharing your time with us. We learned from you today. And as a matter of fact, I want to recap right now. One thing that Nier talked about was creating a product that you believe in. Because when you believe in what you're doing, it's easier for others to believe in what you're doing. 
it becomes easier to shop around a product in this case near was uh, showing his CD off look this is what I worked on this is what I believe in and as a result he was able to sign with the OK record label also it's good to have a vision in your mind what you want your finished product to sound like and what you want your finished product to look like this will impact who you hire to help you on your job and finally do your homework there too where are you going to record what studio is a good fit for you there are a lot of opportunities to record now with technology you can go to sam's garage or basement and get a good recording sound if sam you know created the environment properly or or you can go to a more professional setting so you definitely have options so do your homework and choose something that's a good fit for you that's the most important thing that's all for today thank you so much for pressing play and please go to itunes right now subscribe to the show rate and review or if stitcher is your platform of choice go there too rate review and subscribe thank you so much guys and we'll see you in episode number 12